As you are doing that, uh, I wanted to, to take a few moments to introduce somebody who is extremely important, very special to me this morning. Um, I've been looking forward to the, this, uh, this day for quite some time, and I know some of you have too, because I keep hearing how many times have I heard, when is your dad speaking? When is your dad speaking? When is your dad speaking? Today, my dad's speaking. So, yeah. And uh, so you're going to get to hear John Amstutz speak this morning, but not this John Amstutz, the original John Amstutz, the first one. So, um, but before my dad comes, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, I know some of you are waiting to see if all the stories I've told are true. Um, he's not going to let you know. Um, he does not walk on water, and he told me, unless it's frozen, um, then he does walk on that kind of water. But you've heard lots of things. Many of you know my dad from uh, just from different things within our Foursquare family, from Church on the Way in Van Nuys, from Life Bible College, from different things. Uh, but I'll tell you, the reason that my dad's speaking today is, is honestly, it's not because he's my dad. It's because who he is. And not because who he is and what he's done in ministry and being a missionary and being a pastor. Those are all important and significant things. But what my dad has been to me is not just a father, but he has been the primary role model that the, that the Lord has used in my life to shape who I am today. And so when I go back over my life, and you've heard little snippets of the stories in, in my life, but when I go back over my life and I think about the influence and the impact that one individual has made, my dad always comes to the top. So my understanding of what salvation means to surrender my life to Jesus came sitting in our family room watching a TV show called The Waltons that most of us don't even remember, and then letting my dad explain the gospel to me after that. And I remember kneeling down and praying when I was six years old, and my sister was just a few years older than me, and she did as well. My understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, what it means to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, came through multiple conversations with my dad. When, when I was prayed for in, I think it was seventh grade, when I was at church, and they tried to force me to speak in tongues, and I didn't understand it. And I said, Dad, what is this? Lots of conversations about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My heart for mission and the world, which is something that I always thought was my dad's thing. I kept thinking, oh, my dad's going to go save the world. I'll be fine, nice, and safe here, you know. And then over time, I began as more and more of my dad's influence, and I started seeing the scriptures that he had been teaching on for all these years in Bible college and as a pastor and as a missionary. And so ultimately, my understanding of mission has been shaped primarily by my dad and his experience in the scriptures and globally what God is doing. And so that's why it's exciting for me today, because for the, the person who has the primary influence of spiritual influence and mentoring in my life is the person you're going to get to hear share today. He shaped me. Obviously, the work of the Holy Spirit shapes all of us, but God has used my dad to shape who I am. That's why I'm so grateful that he is my dad, but I'm all even more grateful today that the fact that you get to hear what I've been talking about for the last year, about what a great man that he is and what he wants to share today. So would you welcome my dad, John Amstis, as he comes and shares this morning. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I love you, <laughs> Thank you, John. <clears throat> I don't know who you were talking about, but it sure sounded good. <laughs> now let me tell you the other side of the story. You know, we have selective memory, and uh, we tend to remember the good things. Uh, but there are some things that uh, also underscore why we need to be good. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it is great to be here. It is. It's been a, it's a, I've been looking forward to this. We were down last night for the uh, um, celebration of the Hayfords, uh, Jack and Anna Hayford's uh, 60th wedding anniversary and uh, his 80th birthday, both of which come within the next few weeks. 
and uh, it was a great gathering, and uh, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, it was kind of alumni day coming back. You know, a lot of people from church on the way, from various times uh, back in the past where they've been ministered to by Pastor Jack and Anna, and uh, so that's why we're here. And so it just worked out for us to show up here. This is Simi Valley's not that far from uh, Pasadena. So thank you, John, for the invitation. And if you have your Bibles, now I understand that in this uh, updated generation, you don't use this kind of stuff anymore. But if you would have an iPad or an iPod or whatever an I is, but, uh, well, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew? And uh, I think John's been in the book of Matthew the last few months. Uh, But I'm going to go back before the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to go back to chapter 4, if you'll turn with me, to verse... uh, 18, and I'd like to read verses 18 through 25. I want to talk about fishing Jesus style. Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over all Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and paralytics, he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll open our ears to hear what you want to say. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak to us uh, through your word. And, Lord, that we might not only just hear, but, but, Lord, we might then see that which we will translate into practice. We give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus knew how to fish, but he was a carpenter. My dad was a carpenter, but he didn't know how to fish. He never taught me really how to fish. But Jesus is amazing. Here he is, a carpenter, uh, and yet twice we read when he helped commercial fishermen find where the fish were. This was both at the beginning and at the end of uh, his call of the 12. And uh, we'll see the initial one began shortly thereafter. He called Matthew, and rather he called uh, Peter and Andrew, his brother, and then James and John as well. Then it also happened at the end when Jesus had come back when he had uh, risen from the dead and he was appearing to his disciples. There were seven of them out fishing. And again, we see a miraculous catch of fish. Now, Jesus said, I'm calling you. I want you to follow me because as you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So the assumption is that as you follow, you will learn to become a fisher of men. Freely you've received freely give. Now let me talk about three things concerning fishing. I want to talk about who, where, and when. Now when Jesus was fishing, it's interesting who he talked to. 
who were the people he'd met. And he called them to follow him. He called Andrew first, and then he called his brother Peter. Now, we don't have that in the text here. We have that's in John chapter 1. Then he calls James and John, and they follow as well. Now, let me talk about five different fishing ponds, spheres of influence that we have, where there are people that need to be caught for Jesus, if I can use that word. Uh, there are people who are our friends. Now, Jesus had all kinds of interesting friends. In fact, he was known as a friend of what? Sinners. He was known as somebody who knew how to party. At least he was, that was said about him, that he was a glutton, and the old King James is a wine-bibber, which means he had uh, a plenty of wine. Uh, but he, Jesus had a lot of friends. And uh, we, we, friends, who are our friends? Well, sports. I understand that some of you are Kings fans. Is that right? Is that the name of a hockey team or something? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so you do things together. You know, you go to hockey games. Of course, at a hockey game, you can't have much fellowship. You're so intense on, the, on what's happening on the ice. But you do things together before and after. Or maybe, you, maybe another sport. You know, you have these, what, parties before and after a football game? What do they call them? Tailgate parties, yeah. So who are your friends? Some, maybe some of go to the gym. Who do you go to the gym with? Who do you work out with? Who are your friends that you maybe have hobbies with? We have all kinds of friends based on common interests that we have. Um, there are relatives by birth, and then you get a whole new set when you get married. You've got another whole set of family. Now, you've got by birth and by marriage, you have all these relatives that are your family and your extended family. Then there are acquaintances we have at work at school, people that are service providers that we constantly are in touch with, uh, hairdressers, barbers, dentists, doctors of all kinds, so forth. And then there are neighbors that live nearby, or even people that are in need. And then there are strangers that we meet occasionally. These are our spheres of influence. This is life. This is where we live life. Life among our friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and strangers. These are the people that, do you know anybody that's far from God in those different ponds? Any of them? Can you think of anybody of your friends that maybe they are, would you say, far from the Lord? They, they really aren't a follower of Jesus. Can you think of any? Do names come to mind? Do, fa- do you see faces? Write them down. Write down at least one name. Write, write down. Go ahead. It's okay to make notes. You can write in church, you know. Okay. What about relatives? Do you have any relatives, immediate family, extended family, that maybe you'd like to see them come to Christ? They are maybe far from the Lord. Maybe there was a time they walked with the Lord, but they kind of wandered away. You can you think of anything? You might want to jot down a name or two. Do you know anybody that's acquaintance of yours that you do business with or at work? You at work, one of your coworkers, or if you're in school, some of your classmates. Can you think of any names okay, that might need Jesus? And what about neighbors? Where do you live? Now, those are, that's interesting. You know, That's where you live. And your neighbors. Do, you know, do we even know our neighbors? I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, uh, do you think of any neighbors that maybe need Jesus? Yeah? Jot a name down or two. And what about maybe people that you just casually meet sometimes, maybe some strangers? 
I was in the, we were in the bank some years ago when we were living down in Van Nuys. And uh, at Church in the Way, we had been challenged to begin to ask God what nations in the world we should pray for. And the Lord put in my heart to pray for a certain section in China, and my wife began to pray for Afghanistan. Thank you. And uh, he knows when he's got a dry speaker. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I noticed the gal's name as I was at the, uh, got up to the teller's window, and I asked her about her name. I said, that's an interesting name, and I, I, I mentioned the name. I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from Afghanistan. And before I could think, I said, my wife prays for your country. She's a Muslim. And uh, so every time I came in, she asked, is your wife still praying for my nation? Yeah. Uh, one night, we were having prayer meeting at Church on the Way, and this fella interrupted. He came down the middle aisle, and Pastor Jack did something I'd never seen him do before or again. He invited a total stranger off the street to come up to the platform. He put his arm around him and said, what's your name? He just interviewed him. Why have you come in here? Because he sensed the Lord was telling him, do this. You've got to be sure it's the Lord. So the guy says, well, I've been trying to get people's attention of what's going on in my country. I mean... There's, there's, people are dying, and we need, we need people who will care about our country. We need people who will pray for our country. Where are you from? Afghanistan. He had been going to bars, just wanted to get an ear, to have somebody listen to what was happening in his country. That was when Russia, when the Soviet Union was in Afghanistan. Well, you know, after 10 years of war, the Soviet Union withdrew. And uh, I said, Salia, look, look what happened. They're gone. The, 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 the Russians have left. I said, who did that? She said, Allah. Yeah, God did it. Yeah. The result was we had an opportunity to share the Jesus video with her. And when she saw it, she was moved. She said, does Jesus still do that stuff today, like heal people? I have a, I have a brother who's going blind. He's only 14. Could he be prayed for? The door just opened up, and it came from a simple, you know, just somebody you met. But because we were praying, we were sensitized. You know, the people around us. My wife shops at Trader Joe's. Do we have Trader Joe's down here? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a grocery store. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't go any very often. but uh, So, uh, she's in Trader Joe's. She gets to know one of the gals that you know, checks you out at the check stand and they get talking you know and uh, my wife strikes up a, a conversation with her and, and they you know that's been going on now for a couple of weeks and my wife starts talking about the fact that um, you know well she started opening up to my wife and just starts saying you know well I, I've got all kind of problems I, I have problems with anxiety I, I you know I, I really get nervous about things in fact I, I think maybe I'm uh, I sometimes have panic attacks well, my wife said, you know, I've been through that too. And uh, I, well, something's happened in my life, and that, the Lord's really helped me, changed me. In fact, I've, I've written a little book, and uh, I'm, I'm going to actually, we're going to be teaching that, and I'm going to be having uh, some uh, gatherings at my home, and you're invited to come. She came. 
She went through all 10 sessions. And she heard the gospel. And uh, now she wasn't interested at the time, but, but a seed was planted. Just a, a simple thing. Woman across the street, they had just moved in. She's an older mom. She's in her 40s, had two small children. She's gone crazy. Yeah. She, my, we were bringing cookies to them to welcome to the neighborhood, you know. And uh, my wife says, well, you know, uh, and I, before she started talking, I said, yeah, my wife has a class. And it starts tomorrow night. Can I come? Yeah, she came too. You know, simple things like that. Just, but you're praying. Now, by the way, the people's names you wrote down, you begin praying for these people. You pray for them. So I have a list here of people in these categories. Family or friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, strangers. And you just begin praying for them. And it's amazing how the Lord opens your eyes to the world around you. These are people that need Jesus. And though a barber, I... I've had a number of barbers. <clears throat> Two of them have gotten saved. And um, then I find another barber. No, no, that's not true. Uh, uh, um, but the second barber, actually, he, he, t- he took over the previous barber's uh, business because the previous barber had passed away. I'll tell you that story later. But um, I began talking with him. You know, and when you're sitting in the chair, you know, I, it's a... I, I don't like it. it's not face-to-face. You can only see him in the mirror. But we just got talking, you know, and asked about his family and so forth, and we struck a friendship. So when I was in, I did, he was telling me more of his story. A bunch of kids. He's got about, I think, had four kids, and, uh, and he had been through some challenging times in his life. And as we, I said, you know, uh, there's something coming to town in a couple of weeks that maybe you might be interested in seeing. Now, I don't know if you recall the play, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. I know that that was back in the, what, 80s or 90s. I mean, many, many people came to Christ as a result of seeing that play. It's very dramatic, very dramatic. Well, he came. He not only came, he brought his family. The whole family received Christ that night. Now, I lost, I lost track with them because we moved. But uh, it's just, it's planting seeds like that. It's simple, simple things like, but when you're praying, you're sensitized to that, to the world around you. The second thing is, now, by the way, was there something up on the screen that showed about Jesus fishing? Okay, with a net? Okay, how did Jesus fish? When Jesus fished, now, he was talking to fishermen, right? Follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. What do we think? I learned a little song in Sunday school, I will make you fishers of men, fishers, and we go like this, fishers of men. Fishers of men, I, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was not a sports fisherman. Where you get, you try and deceive, you know, you try to catch one fish and you try to deceive it, you know, with a worm on the hook, you know, and you try to get it to nibble, you know, so then you catch the hook, to, you know, snat, uh, snag the fish. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. I remember when John went in fishing for the first time. I think it was the first time. We were back in uh, Arkansas. Is that right? We were on a, a large farm. It was a chicken farm. And they had a pond there, and they would, they would fish in their pond. So we went fishing one day, and we all got our lines in the water, and guess who's the first one to catch a fish? It's always that way. The guy who's never fished before, he catches the first fish. John caught the fish. He was so excited, he didn't reel it in. He ran up the bank, <laughs> dragging the fish out of the water. He wasn't trained very well on how to fish. 
But that's not what Jesus talked about. He was talking to commercial fishermen whose livelihood depended on them catching fish. So how did, how did they fish? They used nets. Why do commercial fishermen use nets? Because fish come in what? Schools. They're related. And you catch one fish, you're going to catch a bunch of fish. That's how Jesus fished. He said, you follow me, and that's what you're going to learn from me. When he called Andrew, who did he get? Peter. When he caught Peter and Andrew, who else? Two more guys in the fishing fleet, James and John. Matthew, he said, follow me, the tax collector. Where does he end up going? To Matthew's house. Who is at Matthew's house? All of his tax collector friends. See, people come to Christ because of bridges, of relationship they have with people. Most of us came to Christ because we knew somebody, they knew us. How many of us came to Christ basically through family? I did. My son did. How many of us came through Christ with friends or acquaintances that, that knew? Yeah. Now, how many of us was cold turkey? Somebody brought you to Christ. You had never known them, really, but it was in a big crusade meeting or something, and it was basically uh, maybe your first time or else it wasn't really that relational. How many came? Some come to Christ that way. Yeah, that does happen. But most people, I would say between 75 to 95% of people come through relationships. These are the bridges of God. When I was in, in India, I heard of a man who came to Christ. It was about a year before uh, I had come. And I heard that through that one man, 40 people came to Christ. All of them were related to him. It was an extended family. I wanted to meet the guy. I finally got a meeting. We got a translator. And he told me the story of how that happened. Do you know that 80% of the people coming to Christ in India today are coming in groups? It's valid individual decisions. But they're coming in groups. Many times what happens is a person of peace. A person of peace is someone that God is prepared to receive the gospel. They're listening to you. They're open. Can you think of it in the New Testament? Who was the person of peace that Jesus met one day in Samaria? A very unlikely person. It was a woman at the well. A Samaritan. He was a Jew. A woman. He was a rabbi. Publicly seen with a woman who had quite a reputation in town. Not that positive. But she was a person of peace. When he told her, I've got living water. You, don't ever, you won't have to come and drink this kind of water only. You're going to have water that's going to spring up in you eternal life. Well, give me that water. I hate to drink and draw water all here every day. If you knew the one who was speaking to you, you'd ask of him and he'll give it to you. Wow. Go get your husband. I don't have one, thank you. No, that's right, you don't. The one you're living with is your husband. You've already had five. Whoa. That should turn you off. Somebody reads your mail like that. And yet she goes into town. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What was about? What's that about? Jesus was so full of grace that people could hear the truth. That he even would talk to her. Said something, what? Of his acceptance of her. And so it was. She came and, and it was interesting. The passage closes. Now we believe when the people came and met Jesus and he stayed two days. Now we believe not just because of her testimony, but we ourselves know that he is the Savior of the world, including Samaritans. These half-breeds. That was, a, that was a person of peace. Cornelius, another one. A Roman centurion. When Peter obeys the Holy Spirit and goes with his friends to Caesarea, Here's a whole household. We don't know how many were there. Peter says, why have you asked me to come? They explain. 
He preaches the gospel, and they mess up his message. In the middle of it, they start praising God in language that they hadn't learned. These people were coming to faith in Christ, and they were all baptized. Cornelius, his whole household turned to the Lord. What about Lydia in Philippi? Her whole household. What about the Philippian jailer? You know, I've seen that on the back of a bumper stick on a car. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's only half the verse. What's the rest of the verse say? And your household. Another household salvation. One night, a Gentile jailer came to Christ. There is a move of the Spirit of God right now in sub-Sahara Africa that's absolutely amazing. The gospel is penetrating 15 different countries, 45 unreached people groups, and you know what's happening? They have discovered over 18,000 people of peace. And through those people, over 200,000 Muslims have come to Christ in the last 10 years. Praise God. Look for a person of peace. They're around. God's prepared their hearts. You know, there's a very interesting verse in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is preaching to the people in uh, Athens, to the philosophers. And uh, he actually says something that I'm going to turn to it. If you want to turn to it in your iPad or whatever you got there. Um, Chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. From one man, God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Who determines where and when we are born? God does. That's what it says. He determines the exact places of their, of their dwelling, where they would live, and the time set for them. Now, why did God do that? Look at the next verse. That's amazing. This is absolutely amazing. God did this, determining when and where we would be, we'd live, God did this so that what? We would seek him and perhaps find him and reach out for him, though he is not far from each of us. God set it up that people would seek him by placing them where they live, when they live there. Now, some people are they're not aware. They're, they're not really searching for God. But there come these seasons when they are. The, the people, you know, I think we decide that people are just closed. Depends. You know, coming to Christ is a process. Let me talk about the, the, a little bit about who do we see needs Christ in these different ponds. But what about where are they in their stage of development? Coming to Christ is kind of like a birth between conception and birth. And that is, we come to Christ in kind of phases, in stages, many times. Now, sometimes people hear the gospel the first time, like the Philippian jailer, and they get saved right on the spot. That does happen. But God has obviously prepared them for that. But many times people, they, they, they hear the gospel. They don't know that much about it. They're just being exposed to the gospel. And then they begin to hear a little bit more from other people. And they begin to understand a little bit more the implications of the gospel. And how it applies to them. How Jesus died. I remember when I was a kid growing up in church. Man, I went to church before I was born. In my mother's womb. That's all I knew. I grew up in the church. Praise God, they had benches back then, not seats like this. I could sleep. I got to rest in the Lord. Just go to sleep. But anyway, I came, there one day it dawned on me, because I, I learned the verse, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And one day it dawned on me, 
God so loved John, it became personal to me. And it was amazing that when I finally got it, that it was not just for a world, but for me that he died. I personalized it. And then eventually I made my commitment to Jesus Christ. But there's a growing understanding. It's kind of like phases, like there's a, there's a plowing where God's kind of plowing up the soil in our lives. That often happens to people. When we see the awful things that are happening in Iraq, what's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in Syria, often that's plowing up the soil to get ready for a planting of the seed of the gospel, as awful as it is. And then in that plowing up, then there comes a time when we actually are sowing the seed. We plant the seed. And it begins to take root and hopefully bear fruit in due season. Jesus talked about four different kinds of soils. They're in different states. Some is very hard. Some, some seems to spring up right away, right away, but then it kind of dies. Then some gets crowded out by the thorns. And then some's good soil. It multiplies 30, 60, and 100 fold. And so it is. It's progressing as people come to Christ. So what seasons are these people in that we're praying for? Now, I'm right now in touch with a fellow who's probably almost, I would say he's probably at the top. It's a plowing season in his life. He's, he, I don't know how much he knows about the gospel. It's interesting. He's a doctor. I was in his office a couple months ago, and I was working on a book, Making Multiplying Disciples, out of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm looking, making some notes on my, my pad. And uh, when I got in to see him, he asked me, he said, in the waiting room, he said, what were you doing? And I said, I don't know that you're interested. Now, I wasn't trying to be funny because I knew he was from Pakistan. And uh, I said, well, and the Lord just told me, gave me what to say. I said, I'm doing a study of the sayings of one of your prophets, Issa. And when I used the word Issa, his eyes kind of lit, lit up and he said, you're the first person that's ever used that name for Jesus. That's the Arabic name for Jesus. He said, I want to I'm, I'm learn what Issa taught. He's one of your prophets. He said, could I read what you're writing? I said, you really want to? Yeah, I do. He gave me a cell number. I've given him a copy of the first portion of what I was writing on the Sermon on the Mount. I'll see where he's at. I don't know where he's at, but we'll, we'll find out. But it's just a simple thing like that. I, I, it's not kind of I planned it that way. It just, it's kind of just being sensitive, giving an opportunity. Now, sometimes it takes people a long time to come through the process. Let me tell you about the previous barber I had. I told you about the other barber. The previous barber, this guy, he was a, he a proclaimed, he's told me, he said, I'm not, I'm not an atheist, but I'm an agnostic. I think, he said, I used to be an atheist, but I think I'm an agnostic. Now, I just don't know if there's a God. So uh, I said, okay. Now, He would, um, he knew I, I tried not to blow my cover as soon as, I, I try to keep people away when I, they want to know, what do you do? And I say, you don't really want to know what I do. Uh, so, um, finally he found out I was a pastor. And uh, so he took it upon himself to, uh, and I don't know why, he was just, he was a, he was a stinker. 
Um, he would tell me dirty jokes. Can you believe that? He'd tell me these questionable jokes. He had a dirty mouth. And uh, I said, God, why do I have to put up with this? Lord, why, why, can't I have a barber that can at least talk right? And he, he gave good haircuts, and the price was right. So I kept coming back. And uh, I was praying for him. And I said, well, I'm getting tired, Lord. I, you know, one day I gave him a book. I think it was Basic Christianity by John Stott or something. And I asked him later if he'd read it. No, he said it, it would be a good, I, with my skis, and needed some kind of pressure on him. So I put that book in there, and I, I used that to kind of get my skis, you know, in the right, you know, whatever he was doing. But it was, he didn't read it. I said, Lord, I'm going to get tired of this. Would you send other people into his life besides me into his chair? No, he would never blow his car. You know, he didn't, I didn't ask him you know, if anybody else was talking to him about Jesus. But uh, they were. They were. In fact, one guy gave him a Bible. Now, I, I didn't know this until much later. One day, Gene was not in, his, in, his, in, in, in the barbershop. Somebody else was there taking his place briefly, and I discovered that he had, had, he had leukemia. And he had had his spleen removed, and while he was on the operating table, his heart stopped. And they got his heart beating again. Well, when he recovered, he was back cutting hair again. And I said, Gina, that must have been quite a, 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 a moving experience. <laughs> and he said, yeah. He said, yeah. I, he said, I, I think I know there's a God now. Yeah, I think so. He's keeping me alive. Yeah, I said, yeah. Okay. Well, he cut hair for about, what, about another year, and then he wasn't, in the, he wasn't in the barbershop again. And now, this time, he's hospitalized again, and the leukemia had really broken loose. And uh, he got well enough that he was able to come back out of the hospital, and he was barbering again. And I, I said, Gene, you haven't told me one dirty story today. What happened to you? In fact, I, I heard you say something very kind about your wife. He said, well, something happened to me in the hospital. I said, you want to tell me what happened? Well, he said, I'll, I'll tell you this way. God and I had it out, and he won. <laughs> that was his testimony. God and I had it out, and he won. I took a pastor in to see that man because he was hospitalized again, and this time it was, he passed away. I took him in probably about, I think it was about four or five weeks before he passed away. And I had this, I had Gene, I said, just, would you just share your testimony, what happened? We want to pray for him. And he shared. That pastor told me, he says, after I walked out of that hospital room, he said, that was one of the most profound testimonies I've heard of a deathbed conversion in my life. Gene solidly came to Christ. All on his own. But it was a process. You know how long I prayed for that guy? 13 years. But he came. And sometimes we may not even see it. We plant a seed. There's a missionary. They just, it just happened this two years ago. This missionary, back in, I think, the latter part of the, 19, of the 1880s, into the, into the 1900s, he had gone to the Congo, which is today the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He spent 17 years there. He was a medical doctor. And when he left, he felt he had done nothing. Nothing had really happened at all. He felt like a failure. Very few people had come to Christ. It was two years ago that a team was out in that area. It's a very remote area of the, of, of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And they were 
doing research for un unreached people groups. They heard there was a group in this area, and they were doing research. They came across a village where there were a, a group of Christians. And these Christians, they had developed their own music. They had developed their own way of worshiping and so forth. And they knew the Lord. And not only did they had choirs, and they discovered that other villages had choirs, and they would have times when they would get together and they would sing together and they worship and praise the Lord. They discovered that there were churches, there were gatherings of people in, I don't know, 16 or 17 villages. And they tried to find out how did the gospel, we thought this was an unreached people group. How did the gospel get here? Finally, the story came out. It went way back to this missionary who he had passed away nine years after he returned from the field. He knew nothing about it, but he had planted seeds. And the seeds took root, and they bore fruit. It was, it was an indigenous work of God in this area. But somebody went, and they planted the seed. It's just amazing how the gospel is the power of God to save anybody who believes. So sometimes it takes a period of time. Where are these people? When, when, when are they receptive now? Let me talk a bit about that. First of all, who are, we, who are the ones that need to be brought to Christ? Where are they in the process? And now, when? These seasons of receptivity. When there's openness to change. You know, change is coming. That's the one constant of life is change. <laughs> and sometimes it's more significant than other times. But there are at least three times or at least have different occasions when it seems to be change comes. Number one is when we're in trouble. All kinds of challenges facing. When there's a divorce, or there's death, or there's illness and disease. Uh, there may be um, a new job. It could be positive change, a new school, whatever. But there's change in our lives, transition. Transitional points in our lives are oftentimes when people are more open because everything else is changing. They're open to consider the, the claims of Christ. They're open to hear the gospel. Uh, my wife, um, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll tell that story in a minute. I'll come back to that again. Um, I uh, was walking the neighborhood a few years ago and what we tend to do is we get to know our neighbors, and we do that by walking. Sometimes we prayer walk. We pray as we go, and we don't say, oh, God, we pray that you'll be with our neighbors, and you'll bless them. And, you know, no, just you pray quietly, and just walking, and you're praying as you go along. And I, I had been doing that, and so I was out walking one day, and this time I was by myself. Doreen was not with me. And I noticed that one of our neighbor's sprinklers was broken. And I didn't think much about it because, you know, it was a geyser shooting up in the air. And I thought, it's on a timer. It'll go off. And so, it, you know. But when I was walking the next day, that thing's, again, like a geyser. And I thought, I wonder if they know if their sprinkler's broken. Maybe I ought to knock on the door and find out, you know. Maybe they're on vacation or something. So I knocked on the door. And this elderly lady, probably in her mid-80s, answered the door. And I said, I just want to tell you that I think your sprinkler needs to be fixed. It's, it's broken. And, uh, oh, I didn't know that. And what I discovered was she, her husband was hospitalized. The hospital bed was in the front room. He also had leukemia. She was trying to take care of him by bringing in help. She was totally overwhelmed. I walked into a situation 
through a broken sprinkler. Now, the first thing I did, of course, was repair that sprinkler. That's at least we do that. And so uh, and I repaired a few more sprinklers. We repaired her toilet and all this kind of, and you do all this kind of stuff you get involved with. I became her, their pastors. They couldn't go to church. He was bedridden. She was trying to care. And that was a four-year process. As a re- and she always reminds me, John, you know why we got acquainted. It was that broken sprinkler. Thank God for broken sprinklers. At least I caught it, you know, I saw. And, and so that, I actually ended up, I became their pastor. They returned to the Lord. I had his funeral. Then I had her funeral. I met their families. I had a chance to share the gospel with her extended family. It, it's just amazing. And I, I don't see myself as any particularly great evangelist, but it's just being sensitive to the people around us. We're called to be witnesses, aren't we? Yeah. Follow me and I'll what? Make you fishers of men. I think if we're following, eventually we will fish. Yeah, because that's what Jesus does. And you're in a passage now in Matthew 10 where Jesus now is saying, now, freely you've received, free to give. This is what you're to preach. This is how you're proclaimed, the good news. So look for a person of peace. Look for that person where they, you, you give them your peace and they return it. Stay there. And so it is, but this, this couple was in deep trouble. And it was interesting. We were able to mobilize a bunch of people to help care for them. Somebody built their fence. Somebody took care of their pool. All this kind of stuff. It was amazing how their needs became the neighborhood's needs. And we began to care for this couple. It just, it's just, you cannot figure this out. There's not some kind of a plan that you have and you do it's one, two, three, four. It's just something the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Now, this is where we become sensitive to the Spirit. Listen to what he's saying. And I have sometimes a hard time hearing. Sometimes I don't want to hear. You know why? I'm too busy. Have you ever been there? You know, I don't have time to get involved with people's lives. But the Lord has a way of doing it, and he helps you sometimes. <clears throat> Slows you down, <clears throat> and so you can catch up with him. Periods of transition. Also, I would mentioned that. When you're trouble, transition. Special days of the year. Christmas, Easter, anniversary, Halloween. Various anniversaries, these are times of when people can seem to be more open to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, by the way, it is a, when we talk with people, it's as a result of the fact that we've lived it. We're, we're salt and we're light. And we don't just throw it at them right away. We share the gospel as the Lord leads us to do that. We learn to pray for them, care for them. And then share as the Holy Spirit leads us to do, to do that. Um, kind of random acts of kindness can be occasions when God can do something. And I know, I know you're doing that. You're, you've got laundry love. You love to do laundry. Is that it? In this? You love to help other people do their laundry free of charge. It's a great thing that's happening. You're caring for people's needs and... What does that do? It opens somebody up because you've got quite a few minutes there while they're waiting for their laundry to wash and dry to have a chance to talk with them. And you begin to strike up relationships with them, conversation and relationships are built, and who knows what will happen with that. You're talking to them about clean clothes. God wants to give them a new heart. And uh, it's amazing how the Lord will use just simple things like that. But there are these special times of the year where you can share with people. And I think Christmas and Easter are some of the best times, at least in our culture. Everybody celebrates Christmas. They may not know what it's about, but it's sure a great time because I'm going to, we're going to give and receive gifts. And it's a time of joy and happiness, and it's a lot of fun. 
but to share Jesus is one of the most, I think, significant things we can do. Because what is Christmas about? It's about Jesus. And particularly is this true with people that are living in our land as our guests, immigrants. They've come to live in our, our country. And many times they, they don't know why we celebrate Christmas. They get into it. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen Hindu families, Muslim families, and Buddhist families celebrate Christmas and because everybody's doing it. It's a holiday. We don't have to go to work. And look what they, I even saw Christmas trees in, in a Muslim home. They're celebrating. Now, do you want to know what it's about, how it got started? We were able to get copies of the Jesus movie, Jesus DVD, in their languages very reasonably. In fact, on one DVD disc, there are eight different languages. And we were able, a Christmas ago, to get all the languages of our neighbors. And we've got neighbors that are from Japan, they're from Laos, they're from India, they're from Palestine, they're from Mexico, uh, they're from Japan. We got the languages of all these people, and we were able to give them a DVD. Now, we usually give them cookies. That year, we gave them a DVD. But anyway, just going door to door and getting to talk to them. And just and this is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. And begin to share it with them. Now, we'll see where that goes. But you start planting these seeds. And, and a good time to do it is at, I think, Christmas. And then Easter is another time. Because so much of the story of Jesus, of course, is not just about his birth. It's about his death and his resurrection. At Church on the Way, we actually were trained in showing that Jesus video. Uh, I don't, some of you are alumni of Church on the Way. You know this. And we do this at Easter because that's a good week, you know, holy week. And so we actually were trained to do that. And we would actually send invitations to all of our neighbors to come and have a good time of fellowship. We'd have cookies and, and punch and so forth. And then we wanted to show them a DVD about Jesus. And we did that. We showed DVD. Now, this was when we were in Van Nuys, living on Columbus Avenue. And again, we had neighbors from all different kinds of backgrounds. And uh, we had a, quite a number of them that would come. And we did that two years in a row. As a result of just showing that simple DVD, neighbors would say, at the end of the DVD, there was an opportunity for them to receive Christ. Would you like to know this Jesus? You can know him in a personal way. He can become your personal friend, your Savior, your Lord. And if they would say yes, then we would, we would give them material and follow them up. Well, next door was a couple, an, elder, an older couple, and he was Canadian. I don't know if she was from Canada or not. But anyway, they lived there for many years, and uh, they were two of them that raised their hands. Now, I don't know really what happened in their hearts. The Lord knows. But when she passed away, they asked me to, be, to have the funeral. So I had the opportunity to have a funeral for my neighbor. Again, it was an opportunity to share the gospel with people in a time of great need with their family and extended family and their friends. A simple opportunity like that. Now, let me, I'm going to close with this. I really am going to close. Um, <laughs> Like one little kid. He had never been to church before, so his, his friend who invited him to church was explaining everything to him. You know, what the songs were about and when the so forth and so forth. And then when the pastor got up, 
he took out his watch and he put it on the pulpit. And the little guy said, what does that mean? And the little guy said, nothing. It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> However, there's a clock at the back, so you're safe. In Reseda, California, you know, just over the hill here, San Fernando Valley, um, there are a group of pastors that uh, began to meet together, just getting acquainted. And they would talk and share together what was happening and what was taking place in their church and their community. And uh, they began praying. And uh, they wanted to connect. They wanted to know what God was doing in their, their area, their communities, their neighborhoods. And as they did this, why, the Lord led And by the way, they prayed for I don't know how many years together before the Lord began to lead them in a certain direction. They tried adopt-a-block. They tried various things in reaching out to the neighborhood. They wanted to do it collectively. A group of pastors representing these different churches together and beginning to mobilize their churches to do likewise. And uh, they began what was called Neighborhood Initiative. And Neighborhood Initiative is simply a way of becoming neighborly, becoming involved in your neighborhood. And it started with, first of all, with I think it was about four or five pastors. One guy, uh, he was a fellow who had come to Christ. He was from Iran. And uh, he, uh, I don't think he's pastoring now, but he has pastored. And uh, what he started doing is he started just being friendly with his neighbors. Now, being Iranian was a bit of a problem, you know, because there was a question, you know, is he kind of one of those guys who is, you know, terrorist? And uh, by the way, he told me whenever he flew in a plane, he always wore a band that had the U.S. flag on it. So, because he's a U.S. citizen now. And, but he just start waving to people. You know, some people go. They start, they start waving back. It's happening now. People are waving back in the community. You know, yeah, they don't know who they're waving to, but yeah, that was kind of the first stage, you know, just, Hello. You know, you know how friendly we are here in Southern California. You know, we really know our neighbors. And but so they, they started getting acquainted with their neighbors. <laughs> and um, as a result, they started to do some of the things like you're doing. Now, I don't think they're doing laundry, love, but things like that. They've actually developed a way of beginning to impact a neighborhood. Just so They do three things. They pray. They pray for their neighbors. They care for their neighbors, and then they share with their neighbors as the Lord leads them. And they um, are seeing people starting to come to Christ now. Some have never come to the church, but they have church right there. And we had one of the pastors, the associate pastors from one of the churches, he came up to Fresno. He's come up twice now this last year and began to share with us, we're already doing that. We now have about 25 churches that are doing that kind of neighborhood initiative type approach of just praying for their neighbors, sharing with their neighbors, and then probably caring for their neighbors and sharing with their neighbors. By the way, when you walk your neighborhood, if you've got a dog, take your dog. It's amazing how a dog kind of opens up people's hearts. I mean, it just, especially if it's a cute dog. If it's, now it's, if it's a, a huge dog and it's kind of scary, probably not. But, I mean, if you've got a cute little dog... But, a dog, but better yet is if you've got kids or grandkids. Take them with you. It's amazing how conversations open. They began doing that. And start building relationships into the neighborhood. 
And it's amazing what God has done. These become bridges of God, and people are coming to Christ. Now, with these three verses, I want to close. Paul writes about prayer. That's the, first, that's the core of the first resort. We can begin to pray. Pray for people. Pray for the people that you listed down in your names. The names you got them down there. Begin praying for them. I urge, first of all, that prayers, requests, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then particularly for kings, he said. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge, first of all, highest priority is prayer. Begin to pray. It's amazing what happens when we pray. Then it says in Matthew 5, 16, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They begin to see your person of compassion, of care. You're a person who reaches out, letting our light shine that they see good works. And then the good words will eventually come where it says, in your hearts, and this is the key, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. And it's amazing the doors that the Lord will begin to open to us. Equipo Vision is a training arm of Amway in the United States for Hispanics. One area of great openness, it seems right now, are among many immigrants. Do you know that many Iranians are coming to Christ now? Many. Many Hispanics are coming to Christ. Many are coming to Christ. We had no idea that this was happening in our country. I had the opportunity of preaching in a church. I don't speak Spanish, so I had a, tran- a translator, Spanish congregation in Fresno. In that congregation was a high school teacher. He had an Amway business on the side. He came to Christ, not, not, not the day of the Sunday I was preaching. That happened, I think, sometime before, but I met him. And when he came to Christ, he had about 1,500 people in his Amway lines. It's not bad. I don't know how long he'd been doing it. He felt that they needed training, and so he got involved with a training program, a training arm of Amway, and he began to develop training for these people. But he saw that he needed something more than just being trained in business. They needed to know some just basic on marriage, family life, relationships, so forth. So he asked his pastor, he said, would you come and with your wife, would you teach at least a couple sessions in the Amway training segment on family and on marriage? And so his pastor started coming and started to share. Now, he couldn't preach the gospel, but he could share things out of the Word of God, biblical principles for family and for marriage and relationships and so forth. Then he did something very interesting. He said, they need more than just to hear it. They need to have an opportunity to really know Jesus. But that can't be a part of Amway. So he said, he said, he developed a fourth day, three days of training in Amway. Then the fourth day, unrelated to Amway, but you could stay behind for another day because they got done at midnight on Saturday night. Why don't you stay over for a service on Sunday morning? We're just going to have a service. Didn't call it church, just a service. We're going to sing songs, going to hear something from the Bible, and you're welcome to stay. Well, guess what? 
God had prepared the people to hear the word of God. Two-thirds of the people are staying behind for the service. This thing started to grow. He today has 45,000 people in his Amway lines. I don't know what level that is. They go, you know, Amroll and all that guy. But I'm telling the guy, and many of them are coming to know Christ. And we met these people. Now, see, if things started growing, and his pastor got so tired of all these seminars, they have 20, 24 seminars a year, regional seminars across the country. They do it in segments of every four months. They do eight of them at one time. This month they're doing it right now. Well, he had to get some other pastors to come and help him out. And I happened to be one of them. So Doreen and I started going. We started doing some teaching during the seminars. And then we had the service on Sunday. And they would lead the worship, have a testimony. Then I'd preach. I wasn't prepared for what was happening. We hit a receptive group of people. First service I'm in. Now, by the way, these are huge. The one I was in in Southern California probably had about 5,000 people in it and about 3,000 stayed back. And when I preached, I almost had to say, wait, 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 wait. Do you understand what it means to receive Christ? They start coming forward. 600 people came forward. How do you handle 600? I hadn't. I wasn't. This has happened every time. Something got us doing something among the Hispanics. A sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you've got, by the way, 23.6% of Simi Valley is Hispanic. And you've got a lot of other groups here, too. That makes up another, another about 10%. But many people, I think God has touched their hearts. They're beginning to be open. And so it is that God is helping us to, who's, who's in our world? Where are they in the process? What season are they in? Are they in transition? Are they open? Many people are, and many people are coming to Christ. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, whether they're what? Jew or Gentile or anything in between. And that's all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love the world so much that you came. Jesus, you said, as the Father has sent me, so I send I you. And so, Lord, anointed by the Spirit of God, you began to preach the good news. And people re- were receptive. They were open. And you went from village to village preaching the good news of the kingdom. And, Lord, many people were touched. Many were healed, delivered, set free. Many, Lord, became followers of you. And Lord, I I pray, my prayer, Lord, is that we who follow you likewise might become fishers of men. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because, Lord, we have freely received, freely we want to give. And so, Lord, I pray, my prayer is the prayer of of Paul to the Philippians, or to to Philemon in the church at Colossae, that he prayed that you might be active in sharing your faith, that you might come to understand all the things that we have in Christ. Oh, Lord, this is, this is our prayer, Father, that we might be active in sharing our faith, that then we might come to understand even more that which we have in Christ. As we share, as we give, we receive. 
Bless this congregation, I pray. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the work of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the way your Holy Spirit is leading this congregation, Father, to be the light of the world and the soul of the earth. We bless you, Lord, and give you thanks in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you say thank you? Thank you.